This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 473. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by Matthew Marister. It's me. And guess what? You get double dose today, right? Because I'll be with you in the afternoon one, too. So, Double dose. Yeah, <laughs> Mark your calendars. Jacob's busy holding down the fort down at the, uh, the warehouse. Um, <laughs> no, just we've actually had a uh, pretty pretty good volume in terms of things to get shipped and and uh need a little bit of extra help there and so uh jake was busy and that happens that's okay it could have been me down there but <laughs> i'm here doing the podcast uh and i'm thrilled to be doing it with you matthew today is our legislative news episode that we do once a month so we're bringing to you the latest updates and stories from across the the country uh, regarding Second Amendment news and particularly legislatively relevant news. Uh, and we got a lot of stories to cover today. And today, you know, guess what? Happy Inauguration Day, if that's a yes. thing. <laughs> I, I think it is. <laughs> if you're happy is. about it, I don't know. Um, I, I, I'm, just, I'm just sitting here in my seat, comfortable at home, Matthew, twiddling my thumbs and watching as the world burns around me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> perspective, man, perspective. Right? <laughs> you got to widen our perspective. It's not the end, you know? No, no, no. It's far from the end. I assure you of that. But uh, things are going to be different. That is for sure, sure. under a Biden administration. Um, there's no doubt about it. I don't think anybody doubts that. And, and it's clear and apparent that he is not a friend to second amendment you know um just just from his own words and things that he's said and posted uh we're going to talk about one of those things here in just a moment or two um so the 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 key the point is uh regardless of where you are in the political spectrum regardless if you're left right r d don't care um but you can just look at the individual and his policies or at least what he appears to be or his intents are regarding policies um and the next four years at least are going to be very interesting potentially all right we have a different a little bit you have a different makeup in the senate and we have a different makeup in the house well house is kind of the same as what it was the last couple of years um but uh but things are a little different right so lots of issues at stake and we need to be sharp on our toes paying attention and getting engaged in the process uh because that's where that's what we got to do and a lot of these battles are going to have to be fought and that's that's a i guess we have to clarify things in this new day and age that is a theoretical or a metaphorical battle <laughs> not i'm not calling for insurrection people <laughs> uh, no but there's there's lots of of figurative legislative battles that need to be fought on the ground level meaning at your local and state levels we're going to cover some of that news here today all right today's episode is sponsored by ccw safe all right, ccwsafe.com is the place to learn more and to sign up today. You know, and in, in this interesting world, you never know when things will go sideways for you personally as a law abiding concealed carrier. I feel reassured knowing that, well, first of all, I've spent time training, practicing, learning the laws, right? So that it, so that I hopefully make all the right decisions in, in a, in a, very fast, uh, you know, developing self-defense situation in a chaotic situation. Okay. I, you know, I, I've put in a lot of effort to hopefully make sure I make all the right decisions, but there's just that extra reassurance knowing that I've got CCW safe at my back, legally speaking from a legal representation standpoint. So guys, if you were looking at or wondering about getting self-defense coverage of some kind, 
uh, you know, you've maybe looked at some of the players or maybe you're considering switching or maybe you're possibly in a place to consider a switch. I would encourage you to head on over to ccwsafe.com and give them a look. All right. Today's other episode sponsor, ammosupplywarehouse.com. Ammosupplywarehouse.com. Guys, go give them give them a look. Check them out. I know the ammo is short. And if you look right now, I just looked this morning, didn't really see a whole lot in terms of ammunition on their site. But a few days ago, and I told you guys this, I think, in a, in more, in a more recent episode, you want to make sure you are on their email list. Because a few days ago, I got a notice. Hey, just got a bunch of 7.62 by 39 in. I mean, you got some of those AKs and, and whatnot out there, AKs and SKSs shoot 7.62 by 39. You want some of that stuff? And guess what? The price wasn't horrendous. I mean, it wasn't pre-COVID price, that's for sure, but it wasn't terrible. So make sure you're on the Ammo Supply Warehouse uh, email list. Go to their website, check them out, get on the list, get notified, buy ammo. All right? That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> Today's episode is titled A New Dawn. May the odds be ever in your favor. Uh, <laughs> we were joking before, kind of joking before we kicked off uh, the episode about this uh, photo of Lady Gaga singing at the inauguration today. And she's dressed in an outfit that looks like it came from the Hunger Games. <laughs> and, uh, but, but that's kind of, I think. <laughs> It's almost appropriate in a way. I mean, when you look at what potentially could happen with the Second Amendment over the course of the next year, two years, four years, right? Um, because the makeup has changed. Our presidency has changed. The Senate has changed, right? Um, it, it's a different. It's a different world, politically speaking, here in the United States of America. All right. And for, for a variety of reasons, we don't have to go into what all that that is. And we've been clear since the beginning, since the founding of this podcast, that we tr we really try, we really make an effort to not make this a partisan political show. Right. You probably many of you probably get a sense of where I lean or Matthew or Jacob, but we've made it clear that regardless of if you're on the right or left or R or D or however you identify politically or otherwise, um, if you raise your hand and say, I support the second amendment without reservation, without any need to, you know, without, uh, uh, what's the word without qualifying it. <laughs> yes. Without qualification. Like if you say, I support the Second Amendment. I believe the Second Amendment, as it reads, gives me, my family, and my law-abiding fellow Americans the right to possess and carry any firearm I feel necessary to the defense of myself and my family and my country. If you, if you are on board with that, I don't care where you are politically speaking, sexually, racially, doesn't matter. Because we are friends then, because we were in the same space. As Mark here commented a moment ago, he says there's a lot more left side gun owners and very active liberal gun groups. This will be a battle fought on both sides of the spectrum. That is true. It is absolutely true. And I respect my fellow Second Amendment supporting uh, comrades on the left as well. <laughs> okay. If, if if they truly believe in the Second Amendment, like I do, then we, hey, we are in the same space, okay? Uh, a little shout out to uh, uh, my friends, uh, John and Sarah Hopman, um, who uh, do the, I think it's the Liberal Gun Gun Owners Podcast. Um, I, I don't always remember the uh, names of shows and things perfectly. I'm pretty sure it's Liberal Gun Owners Podcast. Um they do an awesome job, you know, presenting things in regards to the second or gun guns guide to liberals. I think that's what it is. I'm just confirming here. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's it. Guns guide to liberals. I got it here in my, I got a lot of podcasts in my, in my podcast list in case you're wondering surprise, surprise as a podcast host. But you know, the fact of the matter is whatever side you're on, if you say you're for the second amendment, awesome. 
All right. We're fighting for the same stuff. Okay. As long as that's true. Okay. Where it gets tricky is we have a party, a two party system in America that has morphed things into these party lines. And it's, it's hard to say that you are all in on the second amendment and fully be a Republican and fully be a Democrat because on both sides of that aisle, there are policies that uh, I don't always identify or agree with. All right. Fact of the matter is a lot of people on the left did vote for Joe Biden, even though he made it very clear. He doesn't support AR 15 or AR 14 ownership and other (laughs) second amendment things. So it just depends on how big a priority it is to each of us to support the second amendment. Because I know for some people, they probably say, I believe in the Second Amendment, but they place other things higher on the priority list. That's a problem with me personally, okay? Because to me, without the Second Amendment, there's almost nothing else that will exist because I think all of their rights will disappear in a right hurry. I truly believe that. Speaking of a gun rights um, organization, the NRA, all right? And love them or hate them, okay? Overall speaking, NRA has, it does do good work, especially if it's the NRA ILA. We use a lot of stories, a lot of coverage from the NRA ILA with uh, respect to this podcast. Okay. So the NRA though, just this last week declared bankruptcy and are seeking to leave New York and set up shop in the state of Texas, which is probably a smart move. Um, it's shocking to me that for as long as they have been around that they've been in New York. I mean, I understand things were different at one time, but man, you'd think that you could have made this move a long time ago (laughs) before, uh, before things got really bad with the state of New York, you know, you got the New York attorney general coming after the NRA and has been doing so for some time. And it's clear that this is a witch hunt trying to bring down an organization because of political reasons. Yes, there may be some financial um, issues there as well, okay, which may, may very well need to be investigated. I don't know, all right? But it's apparent just in the verbiage and then the tone that's used in those that talk about this uh, investigation, the NRA, that it, it it comes from more of a place of we want to bring them down because the NRA as an organization is an evil organization. Speaking of which story about president Biden who talked about in the days after the uh, storming of the U S Capitol on January 6th made references to how the NRA, you know, in the Pete men and women of the NRA were, involved or supportive of that in some way okay mm-hmm. you see where i'm where we're, where we're getting at or what we're getting at okay the nra is the devil incarnate <laughs> in the minds of of joe biden and those like him those that are you know th- there's many and again the state attorney general of, of new york all right it, it's no surprise with everything going on um, and the struggles, uh, whether they are self-imposed or not, it doesn't matter. It's no surprise that they have now filed for bankruptcy, but that's what it is. That's the news. Yeah. I mean, I, I, as far as the NRA, I know there's like a lot of mix. there's a lot of, uh, people in, you know, that are gun owners, pro second amendment people that hate the NRA for their mismanagement and, um, inability to do, the things that they feel or I now I, I would be, you know, on that side of, I don't hate the NRA, but I think that they have um, sort of lost their way and they haven't really done uh, the job that they have. And I think we saw uh, the NRA almost become um, completely vacant during the election, right? Like the lead up and everything, they, they weren't able to mobilize. They weren't able to do the things that they normally do because they were in such turmoil as far as structurally with LaPierre doing all kinds of stupid stuff and, and, and everything else. So I think, you know, they really hurt themselves, but more importantly, they hurt the, the, the one big, you know, mouthpiece that 
Second Amendment um, people have, right? Like grassroots is great. And I'm not saying that you should take that away, but the NRA does play a vital role. If it didn't, you wouldn't see such a um, an attack on it, right? Like the NRA is was almost non-existent for the last year, other than being in the news to defend itself, right? Mm-hmm. So why why the the over you know we're going to take on the NRA? The NRA was like non-existent. So why would Biden say that? You know, and it, it, I think it, it is telling because they know that the NRA is very a, a big valuable piece of the whole you know. Um, legislative process. And so I don't know. I don't know what's going to play out. I mean, there's some uh, legal analysis that say the NRA won't be able to do it because they're under some criminal investigations and they can't, you know, um, jump out of the state by still having some sort of uh, monetary potential monetary or criminal violations that they have to answer for. So I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but yeah, it makes sense to get out of New York. They're, they're very hostile towards the NRA. And it, it, like you said, it should have been done a long time ago. Plus hopefully some sort of leadership change or some sort of structural change in the NRA as this happens. Yeah. Well, Mark here on Facebook comments says NRA definitely needs new leadership. And I, I do not disagree with that at all. Yeah. I, uh, I think that's been the case for a long time that, uh, some, some fresh, and new blood in the NRA, in the NRA's leadership, I think, would be very important. Now, whether that's going to happen or not, I don't know. Um, the way that the NRA is structured, in terms of its board of directors and the size of that board of directors, and the way elections and stuff for the board of directors and everything, all that is run, uh, makes it very difficult to actually get things done. Productively within the NRA and the NRA's leadership. So there's a lot of structural changes that I think probably need to happen to uh, to affect some of the change that many of us would like to see within the organization. And of course, that means you actually have to get those structural changes made by an organization that's set up to make it difficult to change such things. So that's where we are. Um, you know, some people would say couldn't care less if the NRA died and went away. Um, I'd like to believe that something would step up in its place, but the fact of the matter is it still is a very large and uh, powerful organization. It really is. Um, Just the fact that it's there is a show of power and strength to politicians because what what does an organization like this represent? Ideally, it represents a, a conglomeration, you know, a large body of like-minded people that are all contributing to that organization's cause, which, you know, should be absolutely for and in behalf of the Second Amendment. Um, Yes, NRA's made mistakes and done stupid stuff. And yes, they've become an organization where it's like part marketing or, you know, like just it's almost like the sole purpose of the organization is for the purpose of raising money and just, you know, just like this money churning machine. Um, but then there's the NRA ILA, the, the Institute of Le- uh, for legislative action or whatever um, does great work and, and keeps people informed and does a lot of work on the state levels as well. Um, then you've got, then you've got the whole um, uh, instructor side of, Mm-hmm. Right. It's so like love or hate the NRA. And for, for, for what it's worth, I'm not the biggest fan of the NRA's curriculum in terms of the instructors and stuff, you know, as far as how the, that, that program is run. Um, not the biggest fan. Okay. Some of the, some of the curriculum and the doctrine, the way it's taught is I think outdated and old and time for, you know, fresh blood, even if you will, in the NRA uh, uh, curriculum of firearms instruction. Um, but I don't overlook the fact that that part of the of the organization has done great work through the years. Really, truly great work. You know, you look at a hundred and some odd thousand firearms instructors in the nation that have a uh, certificate, you know, a, a, you know, they've been certified by this body, by this certifying body that, hey, this is someone that is safe, has, has, has shown that they are safe and that they can teach others to be safe is essentially how I look at it in terms of firearms, shooting and handling. 
And that's important. That's important, good work. So that's that's really honestly the, the I know there's even some other organizations that could step into that place as far as replacing the NRA instructor program. But the fact of the matter is, if the NRA were to completely go away, I think that would be unfortunate. I'd rather see the organization remake itself in a better way than uh, than completely go away. All right. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I know it's a uh, controversial thing for a lot of people, but that is what it is. Well, I mean, Mark's Mark's comment that he said, you know, it's a symbol of uh, gun ownership to the uh, to the anti Second Amendment, you know, as an easy boogeyman. But like, I think it's almost it, it is, and it, but it's not solely that, right? Like, I think it's a it's an it's a symbol of the people who own firearms because you've seen recently that like the, the conversation is almost likening anybody who supports the NRA to somebody who supports terrorism, right. Or is inherently, um, you know, unhinged or an alt extremist person. So it's almost like, you know, no, no longer is it, well, we just don't like firearms and the policy around them. And we want to stop the NRA because they push that it's, the NRA is an extremist group and people, you know, that are part of the NRA are extremists. And I think that that's kind of a dangerous switch and, and it further, mm-hmm. it, it, it creates a very wide divide that people cannot, people can bridge ideological differences or policy differences. But when, when people are viewing each other as enemies or, or extremists or terrorists, it's, you're not going to bridge that gap. Right. So I think that we, that's the dangerous part of this, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, brother, for sure. Yeah, I, yeah, and that's exactly what's going on, uh, and especially since this uh, storming of the U.S. Capitol, uh, that uh, there is a lot of work, a lot of people working very hard to paint, to to lump a lot of Americans into that same category of people that were willing to riot and destroy property and hurt people to gain access to the U.S. US Capitol. And that is the biggest lie so far that's been told in 2021 because by and large, by a large, large, large margin, most of us Americans are not in, in that in that boat in that category okay and so but that's that's what's being done is they're trying to paint the nra they're trying to paint gun owners in general trying to paint a lot of different people as part of that you know they're trying to put put the blame for what happened at the u.s capitol a few weeks back on a lot of us that would not have supported that and would not have and are not okay with what happened all right Anyway, um, all right, let's let's switch now, switch gears. Let's head on over to Ohio. So, Matthew, this is up for you to report on because this is near and dear to you. But the story is out of the uh, Columbus Dispatch uh, uh, newspaper there in the Columbus area. And the title is Dayton Mayor Unhappy as Governor Mike DeWine Signs Stand Your Ground Legislation into Law. Yeah, there was a big thing. So uh, January 4th, there was, so it, uh, Stand Your Ground, uh, Senate Bill 175 passed House and Senate, um, and it went to the, it went to DeWine's desk, and there was really some concern that it wouldn't be signed, that he, he said he wasn't going to sign it. He's a Republican, by the way, so this is one of those things where, you know, it's not just a blank, you know, a, a stamp that, hey, a Republican's going to be pro-gun, Um so he 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 made every indication he wasn't going to sign it, but he did. Um, in the long run, he signed it. Um, so it basically took away, obviously, our uh, duty to retreat here in Ohio, which was really big. You would think that Ohio, you know, being kind of like a Midwestern Bible Belt state, that uh, it'd be pro two A, but it had, I mean, prior to the last couple of years, it had probably some of the worst gun laws for gun owners, um, self-defense laws by the, and, and gun laws. But, um, this was a huge reversal, um, of course, f- you know, for, for Ohio. So now, you know, it, it, it will go into effect, uh, 90 days from then. So you guys do the math. I'm not quick on that, but, uh, maybe sometime in April. Um, 
but yeah, so stand your ground for Ohio. And uh, also as a sub part of this is uh, part of the bill was it also took away um, civil liability for nonprofits, churches and things that uh, created like security teams and things like that, or wanted to allow, um, uh, you know, people to carry uh, legal firearms and something were to happen. It removed uh, civil liability from those uh those entities. So that was, that was, it wasn't really reported that much, but it was important. That is so awesome because, because you eliminate the issue that a lot of churches have that, that look at their congregation and they go, I feel like we should do something a little more organized, you know, meaning organizing a team to better protect our flock but they're almost afraid to do so because they know that that potentially opens them up for liability. And when you can re- remove that potential for liability, I mean, it, it, this just makes it safer for our church congregations, mm-hmm. uh, which it, overall, the whole thing makes things safer for law abiding Amer- Americans in, in Ohio, uh, which is completely contrary to what, you know, the mayor of, of Dayton, the city of Dayton uh <laughs> You know, and, and others that, that, that oppose the stand your ground bill, um, you know, they're trying to paint this and how it's going to make things more dangerous for Ohioans. But that's not the case at all. Um, it, 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 this is this is specific. Like, if you look at how the law works, this is a clear sign of how politicians and people in power do not understand how the law actually applies to uses of self, you know, deadly force and self-defense mm-hmm. because they think they, whether they actually believe it or not, is that that's a whole other thing, but they, they try to paint it as this idea of it's going to give citizens a license to kill. That's a common <laughs> phrase that's used. Yeah. And that if you, like anybody that understands self-defense law at all knows that that's not what it's saying at all. It's not a license to kill or anything like it. It doesn't even actually change when you can use deadly force. It simply means you don't have standing there going, uh, is this a, is this one of those moments I'm supposed to try to retreat? You know, like, because that's, I think such an unfair position to put anybody in. Right, you either have a deadly threat against you or a loved one or somebody else, or you don't. Mm-hmm. So then it just becomes a question of it, this puts the power more in the hands of the person making the decision on the ground. In that, how big of a priority is it is to them to try to avoid this conflict, right? And there's no legal obligation to have to retreat when they can, right? Like that's, that's the key. That's an important distinction, right? Because, because it all, in all cases, there's, there's still a, a, a threat involved. It's more of a, do I have to consider retreat or not? Right. And that's a difficult place to expect anybody to be and be making uh, decisions like that. Yeah. It's, 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 it's difficult, right? Like not only is it difficult, it's, it's really impractical, right. And it's unfair. And um, it, it's crazy because it's the, the law doesn't say that, like, if you had a clear path to get out of you know harm's way before you use deadly force, that it can't be considered in the reasonableness of the force. Right. Like somebody could mm-hmm. still say your force isn't reasonable because you could have you had 20 minutes before the guy reached you. And you didn't have to stand there and, you know, uh, shoot the guy, right? Like you had 20 minutes to go in your house and lock the door, make a cup of coffee, call the police and all that, right? So it's not to say like you couldn't factor that into the reasonableness, but it's just saying like we can't we can't uh, take away your claim of self-defense based on an arbitrary belief that we think that you should have gotten away first, you know? And so it's crazy. And the reason why I linked to the article, if you guys follow the show notes and go to the article, the reason why I use that instead of like your typical NRA ILA, because I wanted you guys to see like basically how, like Riley was saying, like you were saying is how it's phrased. I mean, in the article, it says the bill is racist. Like, so, you know, right then and there, there's not a legitimate argument against the bill. Like the bill isn't racist. I mean, come on, that's, it's, that's, that's a stupid argument. It doesn't hold any water. And so, you know, you you know, right then and there, they don't understand the legislation and they're trying to fear monger somebody into saying, oh, a, a racist bill. Yeah, we, we don't want that. Well, nobody wants a racist bill. 
but why don't you actually read the substance of it and figure it out? So they don't want that. Um, so mm-hmm. but it's a good thing. Good thing. Definitely. Yep. Yep. You got it. Well, anyway, I, I applaud you guys, you Ohioans, uh, and your legislature for getting this done because it is pat it was past due for mm. this law to come into being. And yeah. I know it had been attempted in the past. Um, but finally you you had what it took to get it done and it got done and bravo. Welcome to the 21st century <laughs> of you know where where law abiding citizens uh, are a little more respected and protected in their ability to defend themselves and their families. Yeah. And and thanks really to Ohio gun owners. Ohio gun owners. We, we actually had, uh, I, I can't remember his name right now, but we had him on the, the, the um, founder of Ohio gun owners on the podcast a couple of years ago. Um, but they stood rock solid and it did a lot of heavy lifting and really rallied the troops, so to speak um, on that. So uh, big kudos to them. Yeah, man. So I'm, I'm going to jump uh, down to the uh, story out of Arkansas, uh, Matthew, yep. uh, because it, it makes sense. It's the same. It's a very similar topic. Uh, the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, uh, ArkansasOnline.com is where you can find it. Uh, the article is 27 to 7. Arkansas Senate vote approves stand your ground legislation. Uh, one Democrat joins uh, joined the uh, GOP in support of that legislation. Uh, bravo, bravo. Um, so, no, so what happened in Ohio is you guys actually got stand your ground legislation passed and signed by the governor. It is now, you know, it is law. Um, this is the beginning steps in the state of Arkansas, who is another, which is another kind of interesting state. It's a state that people wouldn't look at and go, you know, oh, I thought they were more gun friendly than that down, you know, in Arkansas. And and, and Arkansas has some kind of weird rules and regulations and laws in, re, in re respect to particularly carrying of guns and concealed carry and that kind of thing. Um, so duty to retreat was a part of is a part of Arkansas's self-defense laws. And so what this bill is, Senate Bill 24 is a stand your ground bill, meaning a, a bill designed to remove that duty to retreat provision from Arkansas's self-defense law. And so that's awesome. That's great. We love seeing more of this happening. And again, the same arguments being brought up again and again, as they always are when things like this are talked about. Um, and uh, you have this, the, uh, you have state Senator, um, who's the, he's the sponsor of the bill, state Senator Bob Ballinger, Ballinger. Um, he, uh, he, he's of course defending the bill and he says, this is not a license to kill. Um, uh, it does not give you the ability to shoot first and at, ask, answer questions later. Okay. And, and he's exactly right about that. You know, it, it, it's, that's the way this works. It's not changing the law and giving you additional, rules of engagement, if you will, or, or loosening the rules of engagement, if you uh, care to use that terminology. Um, but the same provisions are in place as far as when you may or may not use deadly force in defense. It, it doesn't change. Just removing the duty to treat. And that is so key, I think. You know, interesting thing in this article is actually talks about one state senator, uh, Trent Garner. Uh, he spoke for the bill, and uh, he. This is pretty powerful stuff, I think. I'd like to go see if there's a video about this somewhere, because uh, I'd like to hear personally from his own mouth his story. But he told the Senate how he was once shot and injured during a mugging in North Carolina. After struggling with the attacker, <clears throat> Garner said he attempted to grab the man's gun. And would have been and would have shot him if he did. That's a little bit confusing how that reads, but anyway, I'm uh, just quoting from the article here. Garner told the same story to the Senate Judiciary Committee in 2019, at which time prosecutors argued that Arkansas's current law would have been enough to justify self-defense in Garner's example. Point proven in that nothing about stand your ground actually, and I, and probably part of their argument these prosecutors uh say suggesting that the current law in arkansas was adequate to protect him in that situation 
And it may well be true. He he may not have had an ability to retreat. So thus, stand your ground is null and void, doesn't apply, right? Um, that's fine. But I think that almost even proves the point is that, well, deadly threat. So yeah, he could have used deadly force either way. But I think Senator Garner's point is that having been through and lived through a situation like that, he has that unique perspective of was there, did it, lived it, survived it. Don't want to have to be concerned about whether I'm violating the law because the way a jury or a prosecutor reads the situation, they go, Hey, we think you could have just retreated first Mm -hmm. when it's such a ambiguous thing to begin with. Like there's no way you can craft a law with a duty to retreat that could be crafted so clearly as to apply to really any situation uh, in a clear cut, you know, black and white uh, manner. It just, you can't do it. Like, and and that's, that's, I think the other valid reason for uh, passing standard ground legislation is getting rid of ambiguous or ambiguity in laws where people's lives are at stake. Yes, sir. I agree. So Governor Hutchinson of Arkansas has yet to say whether he would sign the bill if it reaches his desk. Um, But uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what goes. You know, it's got to go through the House is my understanding at this point. And and how many uh, is it? Thirty seven. Am I right? Thirty six, thirty seven states that have sand your ground or either codified or. It's about that. That's correct. It's about two thirds. Ohio, you know, adds one more. Uh, I think it's probably around 37 now or 38. So, yeah, I, I lose count of the exact uh, number, but uh, it's about two thirds of the country that has standard ground law or law that is um, in effect a stand a, stra- a stand your ground, uh, whether it's by case law or just, you know, the way that the law is interpreted. Hmm. So, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, this would be huge if in the same year you had two states, uh, you know, become stand your ground states. Yeah. That'd be huge. Yep. So, um, all right, let's go to the next story here. Montana student lobbyists tracking budget, concealed carry, and other key issues at the legislature. This according to the Bozeman Daily Chronicle, bozemandailychronicle.com. Uh, Matthew, Tell us uh, what's going on there in the state of Montana. Yeah. So, okay. So uh, let me pull up. It's Montana House Bill 102 um, or 102. This is um, a revision to some of their their firearm laws. Okay. Um, I'm trying to pull it up. It said, um, basically, the reason why I put this uh, article in here is it talks from a, 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 um, student body you know this is this is a a girl at um msu so i guess that's minnesota montana university um but basically uh the the bill would expand concealed carry and allow concealed carriers to carry on college campuses all right that's the crux of the bill so they interview somebody who's you know a voice of the student body um and so you know, this is a good thing, right? Because concealed carriers already have to go through background check. They have to, you know, jump through certain hoops and all this stuff. Um, and they should have the right to carry firearms. I mean, I constantly um, hear, you know, that that um, that this is going to cause people to be, you know, it's going to make students uh, unsafe, right? Because they believe that this imaginary boundary around around a college or university protects them from people bringing firearms, right? Like it's, it's ridiculous. On one hand, you know, you hear that um, universities are uh, bastions for uh, uh, sexual assaults and in all kinds of things. And on the other hand, they say, well, you're not allowed to defend yourself, right? Like you can do that out there. Hopefully that you get attacked off of campus because on campus, you know, you're not allowed to defend yourself. So this this is actually should be empowering to to uh, 
law-abiding people, gun owners. Um, but if you see in the in the article, um, she the the person who's interviewed in, in speaking on behalf of uh, the student body or or whatnot, or at least the group she represents, uh, is opposing the bill in, in saying. Uh, that she was having conversations with kids that said they were going to transfer to other colleges and other universities because they thought that, you know, it was going to be, uh, you know, they would be unsafe and all kinds of stuff. So um, you see the same kind of dialogue or same kind of undertone is that by allowing law abiding citizens to just have a have a firearm on them, somehow that's going to increase you know, people just going out there willingly shooting people at will. And it's just, it's, it's the exact opposite, but it's a limited kind of scope here, but hopefully this, this, uh, this hasn't gone into, into, into law, um, but hopefully they can get their, their stuff together and, uh, and, and get it passed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, Montana is a state that's near and dear to my heart. I mean, I grew up uh, less than an hour from the border of Montana and uh, I've spent wonderful time in Montana. I love Montana, particularly the western part of the state. You know, that's uh, not so flat like the eastern part. <laughs> eastern part of Montana is a little dull. All right. Anyway, uh, but I love Montana. Uh, c- campus carry, I think, is just such a no-brainer to me because we we already have such um, data available at our disposal disposal now of the no, the number of states and campuses where people have been able to carry concealed on campus and and when you look at how long that's been like for instance in Utah that's been the case for like 15 16 years something like that um Colorado about as long all right where you can carry on publicly mind you public you know there is that that private property, you know, uh, rights thing sort of at play there. But, you know, in Colorado, you can carry on a public uh, university or college campus as well. Carry concealed, that is. Um, You can carry uh, in Texas on campus. You can do so, I think, in Kansas. I mean, I can't remember all the states now that permit it, right? And how many dangerous acts have resulted as, as, as a result of campus carry legislation. I don't have the exact numbers on that, but it's not very much. Okay. And we're led to believe that by allowing college students to carry on campus, things are going to overnight become suddenly much more dangerous. And it, it, it's just not the case. Like you don't see, we see a few isolated incidents. And by that, it's usually accidents or something that happened from people that do stupid things, you know, trying to unholster or reholster or, you know, take their gun off them or something when they're in the bathroom or guns being left in bathrooms. Um, none of that should happen, mind you. Okay. But, but the fact of the matter is we're led to believe that like hell is going to break loose and blood is going to be spilt on college campuses. If students are able to carry on campus. And that just isn't the case. Interesting question from Braden on uh, YouTube uh, saying, what about private campuses such as BYU, Brigham Young University in Utah? Utah, I mentioned, has campus carry and has had for, like I said, 15 or 16 years or something like that. A long time. Um, But very similar to Colorado, uh, private universities and and colleges can uh, uh, elect to restrict the carrying of firearms and BYU does, uh, unfortunately. Um, but anyway, so, Hey, bravo to those of you in Montana that are fighting to get this legislation passed. Uh, this whole article is, is focused on the Montana association of students, which is, you know, a bunch of organized students that are fighting against this. Um, so, you know, hey, and that they're right. No, there's also the uh, organization that is what is it? Front uh, of blanks. Campus, campus carry something. Yeah, it's something campus carry. Can't remember exactly right now. Uh, I think it's unfortunate. I think if this journalist was really doing their part, they would have gotten a. Uh, like I actually think I, the way this article reads to me is quite biased. 
on behalf of these students and against the idea of this expanding of concealed carry on the college campuses in Montana. I think this journalist is biased and I think they did a, sh- a shoddy job at writing this article uh, because the bias shows and uh, they should have gone out and got a statement from uh, students that are for right. campus carry. And they didn't. Got to be one, right? <laughs> and, and, and if, you know, if they had made an effort to do so, they would say in the article, we reached out to, Maybe it is students for campus carry or something like that. The, the, or I think it is. I think it's S4CC is the abbreviation. Um, they would have. They could have said, "Hey, we reached out to them for a statement, you know," and they did not get back to us. But the, there's no even. This is just a very clearly biased article. So, anyway, work on your journal, journalism up there. Logan <laughs> Daily Chronicle, whatever thing. I don't remember now. I forget our. I forget things so fast, man. Uh, on to the NRA ILA. Uh, this is a story called Mississippi Senate Judiciary Committee scheduled to vote on preemption legislation tomorrow. What's this about, Matthew? Yeah, so Mississippi Senate Bill 2107, uh, it talks about preemption, uh, firearm preemption. And we've talked about this, I know, a, a couple of different times um, in how important preemption law is. And basically, preemption law just, uh, you know, different jurisdictions, if there's no preemption law, different jurisdictions could make laws that are more restrictive than the state. Um, constitution, right? So you could have a, a situation where certain jurisdictions within uh, the same state treat firearm uh, issues differently. Um, you know, you could carry a specific firearm in one part of this uh, of the state, but you cross into a different city or jurisdiction or county, however they might, you know, uh, divide it up. And now you're violating the law and you may not know because how do you know where where the line is? So um, preemption law is super important because it normalizes or it unifies the, the state law to say wherever you are in the state, the law will be the same and this is what it is. Um, and, and so it really protects the gun owner. And this is really important. Hopefully they, they get this they get this uh, passed. But anytime you see a preemption law coming up, it, it's you should you know support it because it's it's really important. Yeah, I mean, it just means that within a state, and I, here's the thing, <laughs> it would sure be nice to have some things uh, more consistently applied nationwide, but I understand, you know, the way our, our country was founded with a republic of states um, organized, you know, in, in, a, in a union, right, uh, which the United States of America, that's what it is, right, But uh, but within a state, I think it's so much easier when we don't have inconsistencies from one county to another county or from one city to another city or the whole state's one way, but one major metro area is, you know, has a, has another law, a different law. Like that's what we have here in Colorado. Like we supposedly had, we had a preemption statute in Colorado. It was never outright overturned, but the way this, the Colorado Supreme court has ruled on, on, I think at least two cases I'm aware of, has severely weakened and basically made the preemption statute in Colorado pointless. It, it, it might as well have just been done away with um, because we are in a position where the city of Boulder and the city of Denver, those are the two big ones that come to mind, have their own laws mm-hmm. with respect to certain things. You know, like Boulder last year or two years ago now passed their whole, you know, AR-15 registration scheme. And that's why it's so unfortunate to not have a true preemption statute enforced here in the state of Colorado. Anyway, good good on Mississippi. Let's get that done. Folks, if you are uh, listening from Mississippi, uh, Senate Bill, again, it's number 2107. Senate Bill 2107. Guys, reach out to your senators. This is going through the Senate Judiciary Committee right now. Please ask them to support Senate Bill 2107. On to Maryland. Uh, so these next three things are actually just, these are, the, in fact, the links in the show notes are direct to the uh, the bill, you know, languages is found on the uh, various uh, state websites. Um, in Maryland, House Bill number 175, uh, this is an anti-gun bill. Okay, this is a a bill to require background checks on ammunition purchases. 
and this is even it's like this this is this is crazy like as if we don't have enough to deal with in terms of guns and by the way maryland is kind of tight all right if you don't know this maryland is already pretty strict with respect to purchasing of guns i believe there's a wait period in place you got to have um you got to jump through hoops and stuff just just to buy a gun sometimes okay uh, getting a permit in Maryland is insane. In fact, I just had a post from a friend the other day on Facebook who lives in Maryland and was writing about what it was going to cost him and his wife to get their permits in Maryland. And it between the two of them, okay, because there's mandatory training of certain hours and there's this and there's that, and they got to, you know, like there's all these different hoops they got to jump through approval, background checks, paperwork that's got to be filed certain licenses issued before other, whatever. It was like $3,200 for him and his wife to get concealed carry permits in the state of Maryland. Wow. You know, and you, and you hear people on the, on the anti-gun side, Matthew, sometimes claiming how, how pro-gun stuff, pro-gun legislation is racist and, 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 uh, you know, is, and hurts poor people and stuff like that. Um, gun control like is found in Maryland hurts people of lower income demographics, which by and large affects certain races more than others because that's the way, it, or that's the way it is. So anyway, now we're talking about an ammunition background check like they've got in California to buy ammo in Maryland. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. I mean, I'll just read, read the summary real quick so you guys get an idea. It says requiring an ammunition vendor to confirm identification and conduct a background check on purchaser or transferee of ammunition before the sale or transfer of ammunition, prohibiting ammunition vendor from completing the purchase of the transfer of ammunition to the purchaser or transferee if the result of the background check indicate that the purchaser or transferee is prohibited from possessing a firearm prohibiting an ammunition vendor from selling or transferring ammunition without making a certain electronic record. There you go. I mean, I don't know how that is. Somebody puts that forward to say, this is going to make people safer. It's going to drive up the cost of ammunition. It's going to make it more difficult if that's your goal, but come out and say that, right? Like this is Mm -hmm. not public safety. Yep. And a clarification, by the way, you don't need a permit to par- purchase or carry rifles and shotguns in Maryland, but you do need a permit to purchase and carry handguns. And I believe it's a permit to purchase the handgun itself. And then you got to jump through all the hoops to get the permit to carry the handgun. And that is the state of Maryland. And now they're going to try to make it more difficult for you just to buy ammo as if buying ammo isn't already difficult. All right. I'm kind of irritated with bills like that, especially with ammunition the way it is right now, you know. On to Utah, the state of Utah, the beehive state. House Bill 60 is essentially a constitutional carry bill. Um, awesome. I don't know that I'm going to really spend a lot of effort going into this one, Matthew. But we'll see. It's, it's you know, it's going, it's working its way uh, through, I believe, committees in the House. Right. right now. Um, and uh, what this would do is provide that an individual who is 21 years or older may lawfully possess a firearm and may carry a concealed firearm in public in a public area without a permit. All right. Mm-hmm. So there you go. The same thing being worked on in Indiana, in the Indiana General Assembly, House Bill 1369, <clears throat> uh, essentially another Uh, a constitutional carry bill. There's a little bit more specific language in this one, Um, but it's interesting when you read the, uh, the summary of it, it right here on the Indiana general assembly site, it says firearms, firearms matters, repeals the law that requires a person to obtain a license to carry a handgun in Indiana. Um, So the one thing to, my understanding too, with, with regards to the Utah uh, bill, that's being uh, talked about Matthew is, um, that it's just adding language that a person doesn't have to have a permit, but it's not re it's not stripping the permit 
Oh, out of the law. Okay. And that's an important distinction. And in my reading of the uh, Indiana legislation here as well was, was the same thing. It's just adding verbiage in the statutes saying, now you don't have to have a permit to carry a gun concealed or otherwise in public areas. Um, you can also get a permit, right? And that's relevant. That's important. Because you don't want to be like, what is it, Vermont, right? Where they've had constitutional carry since like forever, but no permit process in place. So you're kind of hosed when you leave the state, you know, in terms of reciprocity. Um, except for some states that actually specify that they'll, you know, anyway, I don't, want, I don't need to get into that. So anyway, Indiana doing the same thing. Constitutional carry. Bam. Wow. Awesome. All right. Now, is it going to happen? I don't know. But Indiana, I think right now, the makeup of their legislature uh, is, I think, favorable to this. I think it's favorable in Utah. Um, Utah has some interesting um, nuances in its politics. Um, It's probably the best way I can put it in that it's generally a very freedom loving state and generally very favorable towards firearms. But there's just some weird little things that some people in the state of Utah are just weird about. And I'm okay with saying that. I've been I've spent a lot of time in Utah, and there are some weird things about Utah. Well, isn't Romney? Uh, isn't, Romney isn't Romney from Utah? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's right, a there, you go. there you go. Senator from Utah. <laughs> I voted for the guy, you know, back in 2012. Yeah. Whatever. I, <laughs> You know, I, I wouldn't vote for him now, though. Though the the weirdest law to me out of the state of Utah, Matthew, is the one where you can carry openly, and you don't have to have a permit to carry openly, but if you don't have a permit and you choose to carry openly, then your firearm has to have two operations before it can be fired. And what that means for semi-automatics is you can't carry chambered because then you have to rack slide and then press trigger. That's your two operations. And in the case of revolvers, particularly double action revolvers, right? Uh, Because you have the option of just pressing the trigger on a double action revolver, you have to have an empty chamber before the one that you fire. So... So with a revolver carried openly without a permit, you have to be able to press the trigger twice before it goes bang. <laughs> See, this is this is the point. Like these are the gun laws that, like, w- I mean, what what possible way does that make any? I mean, it's it's like it's almost to the point where you, when people are making up these laws, they got to be either drunk, high, like I don't know what they're doing because that makes no sense at all. No sense, man. Yep. Uh, I didn't know that, but yeah. Yep. Yeah, man. Yeah, and Keith is right on YouTube. He's commenting saying Indiana has, it, that is true. Indiana has a lifetime license for concealed carry. Uh, and, and honestly, it's something that's just, you might as well just get done, right? But again, I support constitutional carry. I always have, always will. Um, I'd love to see that here in Colorado. It will never happen right now in Colorado. That's for sure. Um, but it, you know, it's just funny to me sometimes. People like uh, Matthew. Uh, I, I, I have I know somebody personally in Idaho. Back when Idaho was getting ready to pass its constitutional carry law, and this individual who I know, you know, they're very near and dear to my heart. Known them almost all of my life, and I thought of as a very pro gun person. But when the state legislature started talking about passing constitutional carry in the state of Idaho, they were like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa." I don't want untrained people walking around with concealed firearms. So that's kind of what I'm getting at, you know, with, and that's kind of some of the attitude I think in the state of Utah with the whole like two actions required or operations, you know, if you're going to carry a gun without a permit in Utah, uh, you know, it's like the implying that, well, you know, if you have a permit, that means you've been through a safety course and therefore you're, you know, this is a safety measure, you know, weird stuff sometimes. So, all right, we need to wrap it up. We're sitting about the hour mark. Guys, that's all the stories we brought to you here today. Um, if you're in the, in the state of Indiana or state of Utah, 
right year legislatures. Those were both House bills in Utah and uh, Indiana. So contact your state representatives uh, to uh, express your support and encourage them to support these bills. I think they're good bills. And do the same also in Mississippi with respect to the uh, preemption statute. And also contact your legislatures in the state of Maryland and make sure that they know and hear, excuse me, hear from you your disapproval of background checks being required for ammunition purchases in a state that already has insane gun control laws like Maryland. All right. Cool. So let's wrap it up. Today's episode, again, sponsored by CCW Safe. You can find them at ccwsafe.com and also, again, by ammosupplywarehouse.com. Before we let you go, we need to do this week's giveaway winner. We told you last week that uh, this week we would give away a Range Tech Bluetooth shot timer valued at $74.99. All right. So one of you lucky buggers out there are going to get a free Range Tech shot timer. Super excited about this. So hopefully, I don't know, Matthew, um, do we get do we get more entrance or entries in this week's giveaway than we did last week? Let me pull up. I can tell you how many we got. Uh, we got 253. So, yeah, we got about 100, around 100 more. Awesome. Yeah. So, All yeah, right. we got a lot of people lot are excited more. about winning a Range Tech shot timer. Uh, guys, we're going to give away another great prize this next week. Okay. We have in our store now in the readyupgear.com store. Also, it's probably listed on the concealedcarry.com store too. Uh, th- this brand new Ready Up Gear handgun cleaning kit. Let me just give you a little bit of a tease about this cleaning kit and what's in it. It's nothing fancy, but it's compact in size. It's this nice little, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of a hard, it's not hard sided, but, but it's, you know, it's got structure to it. It, it. It's a nice little case, slim in form. It fits very nicely along the side of the handgun uh, foam storage thing inside the ready up gear range ruck backpack. Um, but this is an all brass. You see all these brass jags and, uh, all like, this is a nice, nice handgun cleaning kit. You got a brush, you got, uh, here's your brush. You've got as far as just like a, like this, like a toothbrush, right? This is a cleaning brush. Then we have all the standard caliber cleaning brushes as far as your 45, your 40, your nine millimeter, your two, your 22 caliber, two, two, three, whatever. You got brass jags. You've got the, uh, the, cleaning cloth, uh, or, or, um, uh, geez, I'm drawing a blank for your, uh, help me out, Matthew. What are these what called? Or brush, p- uh, pine. I'm trying to, the, I'm uh, patches. The video is like 10 seconds behind. So I'm looking, I'm trying to jump. Oh, point stop now. watching on Facebook. Watch, watch me on the, you know, on our thing. <laughs> anyway, Guys, uh, you got you got your uh, your cleaning rods, okay? So you got a couple of rods here that you can screw together for, you know, I think four and a half or five inches up to eight or ten. I think it's about ten inches, maybe maybe twelve inches. So you got a couple of rods with a handle for that. You got tons of patches. Like there, there's two of these packs in this one thing, but you also have this nifty little pick. You know, sometimes you have something that's a little bit more stubborn or something, and you want to be careful. This is a steel pick, so you don't want to like be scraping on things too hard with that. But sometimes you need it. So there's a there's a nice little pick in here. Cleaning rods, handle patches, jags, bore brushes, and a cleaning brush, all in this nifty little zip up case from Ready Up Gear. Guys, we're gonna give one away one of these next week for the podcast giveaway. So make sure you're signing up each week for the giveaway at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. Now, um, today's winner for the Range Tech Shot Timer. Who is it, Matthew? So today's winner is Donovan. Donovan. Donovan, last initial? G. G. Donovan G. He's a former uh, house speaker. Let's put it that way. Former. go. Donovan G. Yep. There you go. Donovan G. Congrats, sir. 
uh, we'll get in touch with you to ship you a Range Tech Bluetooth Shot Timer. Congratulations. That's very exciting. Again, don't forget to sign up each week at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. So with that, we are going to sign on out of here and let you all go. Have a great day. We'll be back here at 4 p.m. Mountain Time with another podcast episode. Thanks for watching. And to those of you at home listening or in your cars or wherever, don't forget, train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.